familiar. <laughs> um, if y'all want, y'all want to turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 14, let's pray and we'll take a look. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you that we can come to you and tell you thank you for answered prayer. Thank you for miracles beyond measure. Thank you for love without end, God. Thank you for this precious book, this love letter, God. I pray, Lord, this is the salvation. This is the hope. This is the gospel. This is all there is. It's all we have. It's all we need, God. Thank you for it. I pray, Lord, would you speak through me this evening, God. Would you speak to me, God, that you might change me. Would you speak through me that you might help each of us, God, to just grow in a closer walk with you. We love you. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to read because I really would like to get all the way down to verse 15. And that's, um, that, that's going to be a stretch. <laughs> but we'll, we'll start out in verse number 1, just work our way through. And Paul and Barnabas, they, they've been preaching at Pisidian Antioch. They've seen a multitude of people, the Bible says, come to salvation, that, that come to believe. And then we see the Jews stir up persecution against them and, and stir a bunch of junk there in, within the synagogue, and then it spreads out within the city. And so the Holy Spirit here, and, and it's important. I hope you all understand, these Bible studies, everything, I don't go through these just to study that. Everything that I look at and every lesson that we do is to find out how does this apply to my life. Because everything in here, this is not an Old Testament story or even a New Testament story. This is not a historical past. This is the plan for my life. This is the book for my life. This is, this is the mold to shape the image of my life. So anytime when we're looking at these, we may be going through the Bible. We may be going through Acts and doing a study. But every time we look at it, look at what God says to it. But what I see here is the Holy Spirit. You've got this persecution has come up against them. There, there's turmoil. There's something going on. The Holy Spirit can do one of two things there, just like he can with anybody else. The Holy Spirit can give them the confidence to stay put. Stay where you are. I'm doing a work here, and, and I will protect you. Just stay put and keep preaching the gospel. Or he can give them the guidance to just, just go ahead, go somewhere else. He can give them some different direction. And that's kind of what we see as the case here. The Holy Spirit says, hey, we've come in here. We've come to the synagogue. We've made a lot of believers. There's, an, a, there's a church established here. But remember, Paul and Barnabas and company, they're not called to be pastors. They're called to be missionaries. He says, your work's done here. So the, you've got these over here, the turmoil, but the church will survive inside. You guys move on. So then they head out and they go to Iconium. Iconium, from where they're at, is about a 90-mile walk to the east. It is the easternmost city of the region. So a lot of times, you know, the, the Bible talks about the miracles of Christ. And it said, were all the miracles written, that the earth could not contain the books it would be written there's a lot of things happen that aren't written. Amen? They got a 90-mile walk. They, they've come off the ship and all that happened there from the port. They've made their way through the mountains and the canyons and through the thieves and the robbers. They've preached here. They've seen souls saved. They've, they've been basically run out now by, by, by the, the Jews, the ones that are leading the persecution. And they have a 90-mile walk. I imagine they had a lot to talk about, wouldn't you think? There's no, there's no telling the, the perils that they may have faced in that 90-mile walk, the, the times of thirst that they may have endured, the way, you know, I, I don't believe that the water from the rock at Horeb is the only time God ever made water from out of nowhere. God's met some needs in our lives before where he made a way out of nowhere, right? So I imagine there's a lot of stories that, are, that could have been told in that 90-mile walk. There's a lot of things, but... 
But the Holy Spirit, he just he moves us over to the place, and we see when they reach Iconium, it becomes as their custom. They go into the synagogue. We've talked about that before because where they can find some people with some like passion. At least they believe in a God and not all the gods of the Greeks and the Romans and all that's there. So they go, they go in and they begin to preach the gospel and they begin to see converts. They begin to see people come to Christ. They begin to see people that are believing. In verse number 1, it came to pass Iconium. They went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude of both Jews and also of the Greeks believed. But listen, we talked about it before. We talk about it a lot. When God begins to work, so does the enemy. And when they went into the synagogue and they began to preach and people began to come to Christ and people began to turn their lives over and change, it doesn't take long for a squeaky wheel to be noticed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had a squeaky wheel on something? I mean, you don't get pulled out good and all of a sudden that's all you can hear is that old irritating squeak. It doesn't take long for a squeaky wheel to start getting noticed. In verse number two, the unbelieving Jews... The unbelieving Jews, they show up again. They stir up the Gentiles. They, they, made up their, they made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. So they begin to make false accusations and to tell lies. Anybody do that to you at work? Anybody do that to you in life? All you try to do is do right. You try to live right. The apostles are just tell, they're preaching the gospel. That's all they're doing is they go around, they're telling people about Jesus, they're telling people about salvation, but yet they got everybody stirring up their stuff against them and, and telling up lies and, and it's, it's evil affected, trying to make people's minds turn towards the missionaries. Same story everywhere that we see Paul and the company go. They go into the synagogue, they preach the gospel, a lot of people believe and about the time people start believing, the enemy starts stirring the pot. All that is is the devil fighting against the world the same way he does today. He hasn't changed since Adam and Eve in the garden. He came as a purpose to be against God. He came to stir mankind against God. That's all he's doing here in this text. That's all he's doing today in our lives. That's what he's doing that day in the synagogue. That's what he's doing this day in the church. That's what he's doing that day in the world. And he's still doing it this day in the world. He's just trying to, to stir up trouble. He's trying to, to, to even pose against Christians. You understand he's fighting against the missionaries, right? He's fighting against the anointed and the appointed. If, if the preaching of the gospel wasn't important, why is the devil fighting it so hard? Robin Redmill, I don't know what you got it from Monday. She read me things. She said, oh, this is good. She said, if, if going to church wasn't so important, then tell me why the devil tries so hard to keep you from going. Anybody hear that? There, there's an awful, Anybody understand that? I mean, honestly, you're, you're here on Wednesday night. You, you get it. But probably, if I ask you, did anybody have to go through any challenges to get here on a Wednesday night, I'd probably see a lot of hands. On Sunday morning, if I asked, did anybody go through any challenges to get here on a Sunday morning, you'd probably see a lot of hands. Why does the devil try so hard? We're already Christians, we're already saved. The church isn't important to the body of Christ. Then why does the devil try so hard to keep us from gathering together? I understand trying to keep the lost from coming so that the lost doesn't get saved. But if, it, if it's not beneficial to us, why us? Why does he try to keep us from gathering? Because he doesn't want us to grow in the knowledge of God. He doesn't want us to grow in our relationship. So, so in every area of our Christian life, if reading the Word of God is not important, then why would our flesh war so hard against it? If, if, praying, if praying were not important, why would the enemy constantly... I, I don't want to be in this by myself. Anybody here mind wonder when you're trying to pray? Okay, now that I've established it, I'm not all by myself. Is some of that stuff the enemy putting stuff in there? 
If some of you, you stop, you, you were praying in a minute, you realize you're doing it. Why am I thinking about that? I was praying a few minutes ago. How did I even get over here? Because the flesh and, and the, the mind, the war, the battle, the struggle, the enemy's trying, to, trying so hard. If prayer wasn't important, then why would he try so hard to affect the prayer, to, to disturb it, to, to mess it up? So, so the fact is, the devil has a very short time. When you look at the span of eternity, it doesn't matter if God allows this to go on another 10,000 years. When you compare that to eternity, that's yet but a vapor. That, that's nothing but a blink of time, and the devil knows he has a short time left but between that now and his final judgment. So the unbelieving Jews here in the text, they become the tool in the hands of the devil. Now, the Jews were God's people. That's God's chosen. That's God's elect who has now rejected the Son of God. And so what, what was God's people? I'm just saying, there, there's a lot of people in the church that are the discord. There's a lot of people in the church that the devil's using their lips, their tongues, their mouth to, to stir up things within the church. He don't need the world. I said it before. He don't need the world's tongue to cause problems in the house of God. He's got plenty of Christians' tongues in his hand. I don't know why I'm getting off on all that. This is the religious crowd that's causing the problem. Y'all understand that, right? This is not, it's not the drunks out on the street corner. This isn't the drug addict strung out somewhere in the gutter. This isn't the one sitting on the bar stool somewhere at some honky-tonk joint or some strip club. This is the religious crowd, people who are bound in religion. See, that's the problem. They're bound strictly in religion, but they know nothing about relationship. Church is not about religion. Coming here is not a religious thing. This is an opportunity to come and have a relationship. We talked about it. We work on our vertical relationship with God, and we work on our horizontal relationship with the family of God, right? They were all in it. So, so they're bound by religion. Going to church doesn't make somebody a Christian. Going to church doesn't make somebody a Christian. But if we are a Christian, we ought to love going to church. It's just, it's just something that is within us. It is the relationship with, with Christ that causes us to want to be at church. It's the relationship with Christ, and that's what the enemy is fighting against. That's what he's doing it here in the church. He's doing it at the beginning of the church. This is not a new tactic of the devil. We see him all the way back in the Acts of the Apostles. Long time, verse number 3, Therefore both they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the, the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part held with the Jews, part held with the apostles. So what we see is that this isn't like a one-time trip. I mean, this text doesn't mean they went to the synagogue. When they got there, they went one time and it's over. They go several times into the synagogue. This passage is taking place over a period of time and obviously several different trips to the synagogue. And the Jews are trying to stir up even the Gentiles. You know, it's funny because the Jews had no purpose for the Gentiles, right? Right? In the Old Testament, the Jews are God's children, and the Gentiles are dogs, heathens of the world. Can't even talk to them, can't be around them, don't want nothing to do with them. They do not, the Jews do not want these missionaries or anybody else preaching the gospel to the Jews. They don't want them hanging out with the Jews. It's part of the Old Testament law not to be around them, but yet you find the Jews going to the Gentiles. They went to the Gentiles to crucify Jesus. The Gentiles had a cross. It was the Roman Gentiles that had the cross. Jews didn't have a cross. Isn't it amazing how they can use what they want to get what they want? So, so here they're trying to stir up the, the Gentiles, but, 
Remember we talked about the, the miracles, the power of the miracles. The Apostle Paul still has the apostolic powers and the power of healing. So remember that, that power was used to heal people, to draw people in so that the gospel might be preached. So you have the Jews here. They're, they're stirring up this hate and discord against the missionaries. And then you have these unexplainable miracles by the apostles. So the city is divided. Part of them with the Jew, part of them with the apostles. In verse 5, when an assault was made both of Gentiles also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it. What that means is the Holy Spirit made them aware. The Holy Spirit had somebody hear the right thing at the right time, tell somebody that came to the apostles, that told somebody, said, hey, look, man, these guys are talking about stoning you. This is a real deal. So the Holy Spirit has made them aware of what's going on and, and then... It says that, um, that, that they head out, that they leave. It says that they wanted to, to, to sow all this discord. There was an assault made of Gentiles and Jews. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. So once again, we, we see them leave that spot because the Jews there, they wanted to humiliate Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. Hey, Barabbas, Paul and Barnabas, I got you on my mind, brother. I was thinking about Dale telling me about your beard sticking out under your neck brace and your Barabbas beard. I'm so I'm going to have to cover you out right there for a few minutes before you come back up as Barabbas. So, so they're trying to humiliate Paul and, and Barnabas. They, they want to do the same thing that they did to Jesus. They want to try to destroy their reputation. They want to try to make them look bad. They want to try to tear them down. And honestly, they'd like to kill them, even to want to stone them. So... <clears throat> They, they set out on another trip. This would have been about a 30-mile trip. They, they went into the next region, which would have been a Roman-controlled city. Um, they went into the city of Lystra, it says in verse number 7, that there they preached the gospel. That might be the most important verse in, in all of the text. To be honest, it is as important as important, I'm struggling, as important of a verse as there is in all the Bible. There they preached the gospel. That is a trademark of the life of the Apostle Paul. He preached the gospel at Athens. That would have been the intellectual capital of the world. Remember how they gave ear to him and they heard and everything was good until he started talking about the resurrection. And that's when they threw him out because they didn't believe in, in the resurrection. And this was the intellectual capital of the world where all the smart people were. The Apostle Paul wasn't afraid. He was a very intelligent man. And the Bible says that, that he preached there. We know that he preached at Jerusalem. That would have been the religious capital of the world. The Apostle Paul was a trained Pharisee. Hebrew of Hebrews, he understood the gospel. He understood the, the law and the prophets. He wasn't scared to go into the religious capital of the world there, Jerusalem, and preach the gospel in, sp in spite of the fact that, that he was mobbed there. He, he preached the gospel at Rome. Remember, that's why he was on the ship as a prisoner. God told him he'd go to Rome, and so he knew he was going to Rome. He knew he wasn't going to die on that ship. He knew he wasn't going to die in that shipwreck. He knew he wasn't going to die when that snake bit him because God said, you're going to Rome. And what God didn't say was you're going to Rome as a prisoner. Hello? Anybody here God ever gives us something to do? He just tells us where we're going, but we may not like the way we're getting there. 
He told Paul, you're going to preach at Rome. And Paul did preach at Rome. That would have been the political capital of the world. And, and God sent him there in chains and bonds. But he carried the gospel even unto Rome in a place where he was martyred. There is no place. There is no time. There is no people. There is no culture. There is no situation. There is nowhere at any time that, that the apostle Paul did not preach the gospel. That's what we need to spend our time doing today. Preach the gospel. We have no business debating the Bible. And Tim was talking about these new religions, this new stuff. They want to leave out the blood. Blood is a bloody religion. It's gory. You leave out the blood, you leave out the forgiveness of sins. You leave out the blood, you leave out eternal life. You leave out the blood, you leave out the fact that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and can never be taken out. You take out the blood and all of our sins back on us. You take out the cross, you don't have the blood. So they're talking about putting these new words. You've got you to put it in. Listen, there's no reason for us to debate the Bible. This is clear cut for me. It ought to be for all of us. I'm sure it is. This, is. this is the word of the living God, which is the will of the living God. This is the truth of the living God from in the beginning to amen is perfect without fail. It is God's word. And if you have a problem with that, there's no reason for you not to discuss it because I'm not changing I know for a fact what's in that book. I know that it's true. I know that it's holy. I know that it's righteous. I know that it contains my only way to heaven, my only, my only way to get out of sin. That is the word of God. If you've got a problem with that, you've got a problem, but it's not with me. There's no reason for us to spend time debating things that are a settled issue. Paul preached the gospel. Paul didn't talk about what you need to wear. Paul wasn't worried about clothes. Paul wasn't worried about how long your hair needs to be or how long your hair can't be. Paul, Paul wasn't worried about the garbage or all the things that so many people put so much stuff in. Paul was worried about the souls of men. And the only way the souls of men was going to change is through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel. That's where we've got to spend our time. There, there's nothing else. We don't need to worry about it. Listen, there's a lot of debate. You want to open a can of worms? Just turn on your radio. Just You, you either pick... You either pick Man, I don't even listen to it enough to know. What is it on the Sirius? 93 and 90, 63 and 65? 63 is contemporary, 65 is Southern Gospel, right? You want to stir up a can of worms? How do you know both of those? You use both of those. Say, I like it. You, you want to stir up a can of worms? Just talk about the kind of music. That, that's all you got to do. You want to call something? Just talk about whether it's an old red hymn book or, or whether it's Zach Williams. That's, not where, that, that's one of the problems of the church. We're too busy debating stuff within the church. Paul preached the gospel. You don't know why he saw converts? He preached the gospel. It says in verse number 8, the Holy Spirit records this, and, and I'm amazed at the way he puts in. He says that there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who had never walked, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. He leaped. And walk. Now, the purpose of the miracle here is for advancing the gospel. It's no different than when Peter and John was going into the gate of the temple called Beautiful. The man, impotent, lame from birth, sat at the gate, and he was asking alms, and he asked for something. And Peter had him stand up, and looking up, he fixed his eyes on them, expecting to receive something. And Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The man leaped up, went into the synagogue. The purpose was for the furtherance of the gospel. 
The purpose was that people might see. That was for the Jews. That's what the apostolic powers was about. It was given to the apostles and it was sent unto the Jew. They had healing. They had power. They had miracle working power. Jesus gave them all that power. And he said, freely you've been given, freely give. And it's still in effect. So what I see right here is we have this lame man. But when Peter healed that man, it says that, that he got up and he leaped and he went into the synagogue rejoicing. And much people believed they didn't believe because of the miracle the miracle is just what got them into to hear it was the gospel that changed them well what we have here is the same thing that paul does paul has the power of healing and and he he does this to forward the gospel but the spirit emphasizes some things right here to make sure we don't miss the size of this miracle had had he said that this man was impotent in his feet we we would have understood what that meant right the man's crippled, he can't walk, but, but yet he, he is, he's emphasizing the hopelessness of this man's situation. Anybody ever had a hopeless situation? Anybody in a hopeless situation now? You, you know what I'm talking about? It, it doesn't take long to get to some things that seem hopeless. This, this man is in a hopeless situation. There seems to be no way out. He, he's impotent in his feet. So we would have understood that he's crippled, but he went on to, to say that, that, that he was crippled. Well, if he just said he was crippled, we wouldn't have known what happened. We wouldn't have known if something happened to him or, or if he's born that way. We wouldn't have known that stuff. But what we would have known is that he was crippled or impotent in his feet. Been the same thing, right? So, so then he goes on and that he says that he's lame from his mother's womb. So now we understand that not only was he born that way, but he's never walked. But he basically, he told us three things and he told us the same thing. He's surrounded from every area to make sure that, that we understand the, the hopelessness here. But he, he emphasizes the, the situation so that we understand the size of the miracle. This, this isn't, well, the man could kind of walk with a cane. He got a little bit better. I mean, he, he's letting us see that it doesn't matter how hopeless your situation looks. God is able. Now, God's going to do things his way and his time. This man has never walked. He's lived a whole life in this stuff. But yet God shows up right on time. Anybody need that? Number two, the Holy Spirit emphasizes the boldness of the apostle. Notice that it says that he shouted to the man. He didn't whisper like, just in case this don't work. You know, I'm going to whisper to this guy right here up front so nobody else can hear it. And that way, if it don't work, I'm not embarrassed, right? He didn't say it low enough so that the people up here could get it and the word might get changed around. He spoke it loudly. He wanted everybody to understand in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. He wanted to understand the power of the God, the boldness of the gospel that he's preaching. So he said it out loud so that everybody could hear what he said. But look at the completeness of the miracle. Man, I was thinking about this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through tonight, but there's so many things that, that I, there's just so much good stuff for us to see. I, I was thinking... <laughs> I've talked before about when, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was before, without. Scientists tell us that, that the stars are billions of light years away, right? I have no problem believing that. I have no problem believing that it may take a million years for the light to get here into that because, I mean, it's just simple things, as simple as my dad and I hunting and may, maybe duck hunting earlier. Warren does a lot of, you've been the same, you'd be in a rice field somewhere and way over in the next field you, you see some people jump up and you shoot. That's all you see, you jump up and shoot. Then in a few seconds, you see the flash of the gun barrels. Then a few seconds after that, you hear the noise of the shot. You know why? It takes time for the light to travel from there to here. 
because the light is three times faster than the sound, however long it took for the light to get there, two-thirds more of that than the sound gets there. So I have no problem believing that it takes a long time for the light to get from the stars to here. What that tells me is the infinite wisdom of the holy, sovereign, righteous, all-knowing foreknowledge of God that we have. God didn't just make the stars. He made the stars visible. He made them otherwise we don't see the stars, right? I mean, they say there's stars out there that may already be burned out. That star's no longer there. They could have been gone for hundreds of years. But we still see the light channel because it's still coming. The, the dark spot hasn't gotten there yet. I, I have no reason to doubt that. I understand exactly what that's talking about. But in the infin, infinity of God, in, in God's full completion of everything, he made the stars fully in place. See, that's important. This man right here, how many of you, when you were born, you knew how to walk? Nobody. Man, we're a pathetic bunch, aren't we? We had to gain strength. We had to gain balance. We had to gain coordination. We had to grow. But, but what about people? Anybody ever known anybody who was involved in, in a car accident? Maybe a spinal injury. Something happened. They're down for a while, and, and, and they couldn't get up. And then they had to go back through therapy to learn how to walk. Anybody know somebody like that? It's a whole, the whole therapy, the whole deal is to regain strength, is to regain coordination. But, but yet when God healed this man, he didn't just put strength in his legs. He gave him balance. He gave him coordination. I'm just telling you that when God reaches your miracle, it's not going to be in part. When God reaches into your hopeless situation, when God reaches in to where somebody thinks all things are hopeless, just like this man, he's not going to give you the strength in your legs without the balance. He's not going to give you the balance without the coordination. This man leaped up and, and he went walking, he went running, and people saw him. That is the foreknowledge of God. Verse number 11, it says that when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in the speech of Laconia, the gods are come down, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. When they called Barn, they called Barnabas Jupiter. Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Now, this too happens over a period of time. This doesn't happen like right then and it's all this big deal because it says they're speaking in, in the local dialect. They're speaking in the language of, the, uh, of, of um, the, the local people there. And So Paul and Barnabas, there's a good chance they don't even know this dialect. They don't, they don't know this language. They don't really understand. This is something that's going on. you got people out back going, man, there, there's the gods right there. And, and, and so the probability they wouldn't have understand it until later on. Now, it says they gave them names. In Greek mythology, mythology Jupiter is Zeus. He, he is king of the gods. Any of y'all have to take mythology in school? Yeah, I never knew why I had to take that. That's the one I got in trouble when I was supposed to be anyway, my senior year. So Jupiter is Zeus, he's the father of the gods, but then Mercury is his spokesman, the one that speaks on his behalf. So that's why they call Paul Mercurius, because he's the one doing the speaking. So here's the deal why they say it's the gods. Local legend was that these two pagan gods visited a couple over in the siege of Phrygia one time, and that that couple kept these two gods at their house, and that they prepared meals for them and lodged them, and they entertained these two gods unaware. And then when these two gods went back, to wherever they came from, supposedly, that this family was greatly blessed. 
So this is the mentality. You have to understand, that's what these people believe. That's what they've been raised in, Greek mythology. This is, this is sunken deep in their roots. So we're thinking is the gods have come down among us. So, man, let's, let's worship them. Let's, the honor's got to be paid to them. And if we do, if we take care of them now, then we're going to get great rewards. So what happens here is all of the mechanisms of religion went into effect. We have to worship these gods. We have to sacrifice. We, we have to celebrate. And, and, and that is the law of religion. Now, here's the scoop. Every man, every woman, every person that is ever born worships something. Everybody that is ever born, all of us included, we are incurably religious. Period. There is a void inside of every man that drives a man to seek out and to search out. That is what died when God told Adam and Eve, On the day you shall eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. It is the spirit that died. It left a void. And we are incurably religious. It is what is in us that drives the search for something. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is the only thing that can fill that void. But that doesn't stop people from trying everything else. We are created to worship. We were created to choose God, to worship God. We are created to worship. So everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. For a lot of people, it's all about the almighty American dollar. It's all about money. People don't think they worship money, but, but it's true because you shouldn't the way that they live their life. They will spend all of their time trying to make the dollar. They will sacrifice all of their time, which most of the time leads to the sacrifice of their families. They lose their family because the dollar becomes the most important thing. And in all honesty, that normally leads to the sacrifice of their health because they become so intrigued by making the next million. They don't eat right. They don't rest right. They begin to partake in all the wrong stuff, and they sacrifice everything in search of the dollar. We talked about it on Sunday. People serve what they love, and they love what they serve. And the bottom line is many people love money, so they try so hard that that is worshiping. Some people it's sports. Some people worship sports. They, they will spend their family's last dollar to take their family to a ball game. They ain't got the money to eat, but they're going to a ball game, right? They're going to a car race. It's all about sports. All of that is forms of religion. All of it is worshiping something. It is a willingness to sacrifice anything for whatever it is that they worship. So, so everybody is religious. That, that's what we see here in these. That's what we see in everybody. So just like so many people today, they're bound in religion. People today are, are religious by, by nature. They're eager to worship. People are eager to give praise. They're, they're, they're eager to, to sacrifice, to give honor to whatever it is that they worship. Now, these people here, the failure is not in their desire to worship. The failure is not even in their intent to worship. The failure is in their target. They wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. The, 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 the failure is not in people's worship towards money or sports. The failure is not in their desire to worship. The same as the failure is in the target of what to worship. We are created to worship, but in the true fullness, we're created to worship God and God alone. 
anything, any worship that is offered to anything else, anything that's done towards anything else, is a form of idolatry. So what we see in the next verse is that this Jupiter, this isn't just some name that they know or something that they just talk about. It says that the priest of Jupiter, that means they had to have had a synagogue. They had to have had a meeting place for this Jupiter, this, this pagan god. They had to have had a place to have a priest that was before their city. He brought oxen and garlands under the gate, which would have done sacrifice for the people. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and we preach unto you. You should turn from these vanities into the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Paul and Barnabas, they ran in there. They're horrified. They're like, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? This praise belongs to God. The people have missed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've missed the power. They've missed the name by what the healing was done. And, and now they're, they're worshiping Paul and Barnabas. That they're worshiping just, just simple men. So they ran in. It says that they rent their clothes. That was a Jewish custom in the day. That was like... A horror, it was the sin of blasphemy. So you, you see it a lot of times with, with priests and back in the Old Testament and, and kings when the sin of blasphemy is brought up. So they, they rent their clothes and, and they run in. The only other time that you find this, this phrase talking about running in, even using the New Testament. Y'all remember when Paul and Silas was in the Philippian jail? And, and they sang at midnight and the doors burst open. It says that the jailer, the chief jailer, he ran in expecting them to be gone and would have taken his own life. Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And then he fell down on his knees and he worshiped God. He became a believer. That's the only other time that we find this type of phrase that, that he ran in. Paul and Barnabas ran in. The people's praise is well intended. It's just mistargeted. So probably... Another reason that the gifts of the apostles died out like we talked about earlier. You know, I told you a few weeks ago, I understand why God wouldn't let me have that kind of power. Remember when he smote the sorcerer, Elimus, smote him with blindness. And we talked about it, I understand, because God knows I'd take everybody's tongues out and thumbs off where they couldn't say it and they couldn't text it. I, I know why God took, took that kind of power. It's no longer there. But the, the, the perfect example is this story right here of how misdirected a miracle can become. The people become so focused on the miracle that they missed the gospel. They become focused on the one who called for the miracle instead of being focused on the one who was called upon for the miracle. They, they focused on the one who prayed. They focused on the one who asked God instead of focusing on the God who deliver an answer to prayer. Y'all get that? The focal point is all that matters. It's not they're praising wrong. It's not they're worshiping wrong. It's not that they're sacrificing wrong. It's that they have the wrong object. This world is bound by that today. The devil's putting everything out there. The devil puts all kinds of something. to see, there's something that I see here, and I'm going to have to finish just a bit to close. i got just enough time to maybe get a little bit. But the enemy right here changes his warfare. Y'all still with me? Raise your hand if you're still with me. Five minutes and we'll be out. Well, somewhere thereabouts. We ain't heard the fireworks, so I know they're not done, right? So we got a little bit more time. You're going to want to get it because the enemy changes his tactic. What did he do in the first three cities we've already done at? He stirred up discord, right? 
He, he began to try to tear down their reputation, and he began to, to bring enemies against them and say things about them and try to run them out of town, and that was his tactic. But right here, he, he changes his warfare. In chapter 13, it says that Paul and Barnabas preached at, at Solomon, and in spite of the fact that there was discord and all that sh- sh- um, stirred up against them, it says that there were many people that believed. Remember, that's where uh, Elimus the sorcerer was and he was with the governor with the deputy of the city and even the deputy the governor of the city believed right so so even though the devil stirred up all this stuff and had him run out of town there were a lot of people that believed they went to Antioch at Pisidia the devout Jews honorable men and women remember we studied a couple weeks ago gathered up against them and ran them out of the town and threw them out of the city but yet the text says that many believed they took the 90-mile trip to Iconium. They get over there, and many sided with the Jews, but many sided with the apostles. That, mean, that means that the Jews stirred up discord. They stirred up things in there again. They got it all out, and they were run out of town yet again. But it says that many believed. But then they come here to Lystra. They preach the gospel. They even do the miracles, the same things that they've been doing over there. But the enemy misdirected the people's hearts. Y'all with me? This isn't about stirring up a discord to try to turn them against the apostles. It just took the natural worship, the instinct of worship that was already in people, and instead of trying to now stir that against the the apostles, it just took that pre-natured worship, and it gave something else to worship. It just misdirected the the attention of of the people. He he didn't try to stop them from worshiping. He, He just, see... What that does is that breaks the very first commandment of God's law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The devil knew exactly what he was doing. I don't need to stop these people from worshiping. I just need to get them to worship the wrong thing. I can get them in more trouble by worshiping the wrong thing than I can by not worshiping at all. Because they break the law, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in earth beneath, that is in the water under, under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The devil is doing a fantastic job of that in today's society. The devil is doing a... Fa- Listen, I don't like giving that slew foot good for nothing credit for nothing, but I'm telling you, he's good at what he does. And he is doing a phenomenal job of that in today's society at misdirecting people's worship. He's not trying to stop people from worshiping, but we're created to worship. He understands it's a natural. What he's doing is causing men to lose their priority. What he's doing is giving them all the shiny trinkets of the world. Everything about money, everything about fame, everything about fortune, everything that people think they want. He's putting all of those things. Something else about this new tactic here in our, in our text. We just looked at every one of them and how the devil used the tactic and stirred it up and got them out. And in every one of them when it left, it talked about how many believed. Many were brought to salvation. Right here in this text, it doesn't say one thing about anybody believing. It tells us that lame man got up and went running into the synagogue. And I'm not naive enough to believe that there are no converts, but I can tell you this, there's not enough there that the Holy Spirit even bothered to mention them. 
Because the devil changed his tactics and took the natural nature of people to worship and created something different and focused their worship in the wrong direction. There are no converts mentioned in this city. The devil's doing that to this world today. He's got the world blinded with all the junk that's out there. And and the people are putting out their worship. They don't realize it, but they are. They're, They're worshiping their favorite ball team. They're worshiping their favorite ball player. They're worshiping their favorite sport. They're, they're worshiping cars, four-wheel drive, off-roading, motocross, fishing, hunting. Call it what you will. Now, I know I'm in the men's world. I didn't get over into shopping and, and all that stuff. I, I don't know that side. I've got, I got my own dirt to deal with. But everybody's got something that the devil puts there to try to be a distraction. You know why? Because he wants to distract you from worshiping the one true God. And that's what he's doing to the world. And, and Tim talked about it before we even started. What he has done is he's taken this book and changed it. He's got people trying to preach it without the blood and without the cross, and it won't work. But what it does, it gives somebody a misguided direction to worship something that won't work, and it keeps them from finding the truth. The devil's doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. You know the only way to defeat that? The gospel. Don't bend. Don't break. Don't change. Don't swerve. Don't sway. Don't grow soft. Don't let the enemy say anything to to change your mind or your heart. This book is all we have. This book is all we need. This book contains the only thing that changed me. This book contains the only truth that changed every one of you. And was anybody changed by anything that wasn't in this book? There's nothing but the blood of the Lamb of God, the gift of God, the free gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing going to change this world. There's nothing going to help this church answer the prayer that we pray in one accord. God, help us reach this town. Help us change our hometown with the gospel of Jesus Christ one soul at a time. There is nothing can do that but the Word of God. Paul never wavered. He never changed. He preached the gospel. That's where we got to stand. Amen. God, thank you so much for this precious, precious book, God. Lord, sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, more, more loving than, than we can even comprehend. God, full of compassion. Yes, God, it warns us of hell. Yes, it talks about judgment. Yes, it, it tells us of all, all the fiery trials and indignation. Yes, it tells us that, that we're a people born of problems. Yes, it tells us that in this world you shall have tribulation. But it also says that we're to, to have joy, that, that we're to rejoice because you have overcome the world, God. Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for that old rugged cross. Thank you that we sit here together, God, washed in the blood, children of God, because of what you did for us. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.